wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. Links to connect with us through Facebook, Instagram and Twitter are at bleedingdaylight.net. As you listen, think about the people you know who need to hear this episode and then share however you can. Whether you're facing a battle with anxiety or trying to support someone facing their own struggle, today's guest will remind you that there is real hope. Christy Bullware is a wife and mum of three children. She has a deep desire to set women and teens free from the chains of fear and anxiety. Christy founded and leads the not-for-profit organisation Fearless Unite. Through conferences, workshops, retreats, Bible studies and devotionals, Christy speaks and writes about drastically decreasing the alarming statistics of anxiety in our world. She's the author of the book Nervous Breakthrough, Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It. She's my guest on Bleeding Daylight today. Christy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I want to explore your own anxiety story, but first of all, how would you define that word, anxiety? Mm. Anxiety is very eye-focused. It focuses on what am I dealing with right now, and it has a very limited view of anything that's going on around you, but it also is this constant nagging sensation that I have to get out of here. I can't sit still. I can't trust what's going on around me. And it's this impending doom that just feels like is never going to end. That would be my, my personal definition of anxiety. So it sounds like a lot of it is the things that we're telling ourselves, which may or may not be true, and most of the time probably will not turn out to be the truth, Mm -hmm. but they're the things that we're actually telling ourselves. Is that right? Yeah. Anxiety likes to feed us lies, and it's the what-if cycle. It's the snowball cycle. It's the sitting there believing that something is going to happen that very likely probably won't happen. This has been said before, and you've probably heard it, but it's false evidence appearing real is the definition of fear, and then I would put anxiety in that as well. One of the things that I feel like I had to get a grasp on was the snowballing thoughts that would take place. And I can walk through hundreds of examples of that for you, but I don't think that we realize that our thoughts impact our body. That's an incredibly important revelation that I had to walk through with my own journey with severe panic and anxiety disorder. We do come to that realization at different times in our life that actually we're completely connected. And for those of us who are of faith, who believe that there is a God who created us, we believe that he has created us as whole beings. And so it, mm. it makes sense that we are connected and the things that we think and the things that we do with our bodies are, are all connected. But so often, as you say, we feel that they are disconnected. And so we're trying to treat one without the other. Maybe you can help me understand a little bit of your anxiety journey. When was it that these sort of false ideas started to invade your mind? Ron, as far as I can remember, I was an achiever. I cared so much about what people thought. 
The applause of man became what my soul lived for at just fourth grade. I stepped in for the leading role who got sick, and I stressed my body and memorized the blocking and came in and saved the day. And I remember getting standing ovations just in fourth grade for this little role that I did. And I remember feeling like, man, this applause, this approval of man is just like an addiction. And it felt so good to be applauded. And it felt so good to save the day, to come in and save. And I remember being at my grandparents, and we were supposed to be celebrating. And I had to lock myself in a dark room because I had a migraine at fourth grade. And that followed me into high school where I had to campaign for class president. And then that wasn't enough. So I wanted to land the speech at graduation where I spoke to over 5,000 people. And then that followed me into my college career where I was a musical theater major I remember getting standing ovations for my performance of Catherine Sloper and the heiress. And and, and then I went on to New York City to try to make it big and try it out for the bold and the beautiful and got my Screen Actors Guild gig for a commercial that I shot in the middle of the streets of New York because I shaved my head bald. And it was just this constant striving for accolades and achievement and success. And my husband winds up asking me to marry him in Rockefeller Center in this big production. Production, you know, it, like he s- slides up on one knee and proposes to me after he falls doing a triple sow cow. And it was like this big thing. And we, we wind up deciding that we're going to go ahead and get married. And I go back home. And then I've got this new dream that I'm going to be the best saleswoman the world has ever seen. And I have no sales experience at this point. And so I'm climbing the corporate career ladder. And at about 25 years old, I find myself super successful, making six figures, got my master's degree, and we're doing real nice things. And and I'm on the sunny beaches of Cancun. And all of a sudden, while I was trying to rest, my body had a panic attack. This time, I knew something was different. It Something was wrong. I couldn't breathe. My chest was beating so fast. I was sick to my stomach. It lasted about 20 minutes. I knew that something was wrong. And it wasn't until I got home and landed in St. Louis and turned on my phone and realized all the work that I'd missed on being in vacation that I started seeing black dots in my eyes. And I started getting paralysis on the right side of my body, tingling. And that continued until it got so bad that I wound up calling my primary care physician in the middle of the night. And I'm like, doc, something's wrong with me. I can't feel the right side of my body. He was very concerned that I was having a stroke. So he told me to go to the emergency room right away. And so there I am. I am in the emergency room. I get admitted and they do the whole nine yards of testing to see what's going on with me. And I'll never forget this. The doctor walks back in. He's like, well, the good news is, Chrissy, everything checked out fine. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I'm going to punch you in the face, doc. Like there is no way you could be looking at me right (laughs) now and say that I'm fine because I know I'm not fine. I feel like I'm dying. And then he looked at me and said, hey, you're struggling with anxiety. I need you to follow up with your primary care physician. I'm going to write you a prescription for Xanax, but we're going to go ahead and send you home. And my life just completely spiraled out of control after that. I was stuck in fight or flight. So I was having back-to-back panic attacks that happened for three weeks straight. I couldn't leave my bedroom. Hair was falling out of my head. I couldn't eat. I was losing weight rapidly. And at the darkest moments of the severe panic and anxiety, I was having suicidal thoughts. 
it sounds like there's this culmination of everything that's been going on. When you have a holiday and finally you tell your body, time to rest, and your body is saying, no, no, we don't do rest, there's this culmination. So how was it for you leading up to that? In these places where you were finding success, was there anxiety there as well? Obviously, you're working very hard to achieve these successes, but was there something there all along saying, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep going, you've got to get success, you've got to get acceptance at that time? Yeah, there's two things I want to touch on there first. The the part where the holiday, your body wasn't used to having rest. When your body is stuck in flight or flight, you've got adrenaline and cortisol just rushing through. And for me, I was a workaholic. So I didn't take a holiday. I didn't rest. I didn't know how to do it because I was just such an achiever, such a workaholic. I never took time to just be still and rest. So what happens is when I was resting on the sunny beaches of Cancun, my body said, wait a minute. Like you said, I've never seen this before. I don't know what this looks like. So rest was a threat. So it fought that rest. And that's where the panic and the anxiety started to come in. What I like to teach people is smoke alarms. So when I was achieving, when I was going and trying to get the next notch on my belt, I was not aware that smoke alarms were going off in my body. God is so beautiful and he makes us all so different, but we all have different levels of thresholds of stress that we can manage. And I sort of liken it to like an oil change on your car. If it's an older vehicle, it's got a lot of wear and tear. You might have to change your oil a little bit sooner. If it's a newer vehicle, it's been well-maintained, you know, you can go a little bit further. Well, for me, I could handle a lot of stress until I couldn't. And so this was just sort of a lifetime of achieving and success and un resolved conflict and just pride and caring about me, myself, and I to finally, my engine exploded. And it was like, no more. I can't take it anymore. So these smoke alarms, we've got to pay attention to. And I'm so passionate about teaching people about them because if I would have known these smoke alarms, I probably could have saved myself from having a nervous breakdown. So some things that you've got to look for is tightness in your chest, insomnia, Are you having like digestive issues? Do you have tension in your jaw or when you're sleeping in your bed at night, like are your shoulders up to your ears, you know, because your body just is so tense, it can't relax. Do you have intrusive thoughts? Do your thoughts just snowball and you keep thinking about the same situation over and over and over? Or do you have like a hundred million thoughts going on that you just can't get any rest or peace or solace because you're constantly, your brain is just constantly going and it, it just won't stop. Those are some smoke alarms that are going off. Our bodies have built in blessings to say, warning, 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 something's going on here. But we Uh, you know, as a culture, just look at busyness as a badge of honor. And it's like the busier we are, the more we're doing, the more we're achieving, it's like the more success we are. So it's like, we've got to slow down a bit and pay attention to the fact that these smoke alarms are going off and then, then go, okay, now that it's going off, what am I going to do about it? I didn't understand these things. And that's where I found myself diagnosed with severe panic and anxiety disorder. And I imagine at this stage, because you're so used to pushing yourself and looking for that success, suddenly you've got something going on in your body and that would cause even more anxiety because that's Mm -hmm. stopping you from achieving the success, which has been what you've needed so far. So how did that work out? Was that something that piled upon itself, knowing that 
I can't get out there and do this because my body's not cooperating now. I called myself superwoman. I always was running after things. I prided myself in always having a sound mind and getting myself out of situations. And so nothing stops you faster than a diagnosis that slows you down. And it was severe panic and anxiety disorder. I just remember thinking to myself, how did I get here? How did this happen? Suddenly my superwoman cape was strangling me. And it's those moments where you have a breakdown so that you can have a breakthrough. You know, they call them like the end of the rope moments, the moments where you have to get honest with yourself and say, wow, how did I get here? Up until this point, Randy, I was just a CEO Christian, which was Christmas Easter only. I didn't have a problem with God. I just didn't need him because I was superwoman. I was suddenly asking myself these introspective questions like, how did I get here? And if God's ways are higher, then how do I get myself out of this? Or if my help doesn't come from me, because I was so used to just getting myself, pull up your both straps, keep going. You know, I was so used to getting myself out of situations that if my help didn't come from me, then where does my help come from? And so I had to keep asking me these questions because I realized that myself had failed me. And I had to just start realizing that maybe there was a different answer. And how did you start to come to that answer? Because you're in this state where things just don't seem normal. Everything that you knew to be true in the past now seems to be failing you. So how do you start reaching towards those answers? Well, I would say that it was my darkest moment. It was three weeks of back-to-back panic attacks. I couldn't leave my bedroom. I had just missed my son's first steps because the panic and anxiety was so wretched that I couldn't leave the comfort bubble of my bedroom. And my husband keeps hunting guns in our bedroom and they're not loaded. But the kingdom of darkness came upon me in those moments. I locked eyes with those guns and it was just this voice of, why don't you just use those guns? Your life is going to be like this forever. You're never going to get through this. This is how your life is going to be. You would just be better off if you just took care of it now. And so it was like these intrusive thoughts of, I've just, if I'm going to be like this, if this is what my life is going to look like, then I don't want to be here anymore. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm even contemplating this. I can't believe that this is something that I could even be. And it it scared me. And it was one of those moments where I was like, no, 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 no. I, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. And I just broke and wept and laid blankets over the guns so that I wouldn't have to look at them anymore. And I remember my husband came home from work that day and I just fell into his arms because the panic and anxiety was so bad. I hadn't eaten. And he just looked at me and he's like, Christy, why are there blankets over my hunting guns? And I remember just falling down in his arms saying, because I was tempted to use them. And I know at that point, he was like, this is far bigger than I could ever imagine. And he just wrapped me up in his arms and he said, we're going to get through this. That was when prayer 
came in. And up until this point, prayer had just been this kind of tradition, this repetition, these just religious words that I would say, and they never meant anything to me. But at this point, my husband took me in his strong arms and he prayed over me. And it's so important for me to say this, that we were not a praying couple. It wasn't something that we had ever done before. This was something that just out of desperation, we prayed and we asked God to come in and help and give us wisdom and guidance. And after that, it almost like gave me the courage to pray harder, to pray more. And he left and there was this little cross over our bathroom wall that was just a cross that someone had given me. I I have Catholic roots. It was just this little cross. And I remember just going through parish school religion where we would get down on our knees and we would pray. And so I thought, what the heck? I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to pray too. And I prayed out. I asked God, I didn't even know what I was doing when I did it, but I said, God, if you're real and you can help me, I need you to step into this right now. And I surrender. I, I promise I'll dedicate my life to you if you will just get me out of this. And again, I didn't know what I was saying at the time. But he did. And after that just surrender moment, little miracles started to happen to where wisdom came in and hope came in and help came in. And it was just this beautiful journey of learning how to overcome fear and anxiety, but this time laying my superwoman cape at the feet of Jesus. It's a wonderful turnaround, and I'm sure that it wasn't just instant, but you instantly started to see at least some light at the end of the tunnel. That gave you hope to keep going on. Did you connect with anyone at this point and say, hey, look, I need to know more about this idea of faith that I've dabbled with before, but never really taken seriously? I think it's so important. It's why I'm so excited to be on this pot, bleeding light. I mean, that's what it was. It was like I was still bleeding out, but there was light at the end of the tunnel. And it was a beautiful thing that where I finally, I felt hope. And no, absolutely, it did not stop. In fact, it got worse. I had more panic attacks and I was scared to take my medication because you know, just a normal person reading potential side effects of depression and anxiety medicine could make you panicky. But when I was already in a heightened state, it made it worse. And it was because I just lacked education and knowledge on what the medicine was and what it was going to do to help me. But yes, little mini miracles happened. At one point, I was pacing my bedroom. Pacing seemed to be the thing that, I I mean, I ran my carpet through the mud coming through a, a million times pacing my bedroom. But at one point, I was pacing and I just heard this still small voice reach out to this particular woman that I had been in college with that I had not talked to in over seven years. My journey happened in 2011. So Facebook was kind of like still a new thing. And so I reached out to her on Facebook. Turns out she had gone through the identical situation was given a diagnosis of severe panic and anxiety. And that wisdom prayer that my husband had prayed a few days before, that is where an answer came in because she poured wisdom out over me. She told me books that I needed to read. She told me to listen to my doctor. She told me I wouldn't get through this without a real relationship with Jesus Christ. It was just like more hope started to come in. So I devoured the books that she told me to read. And it was just like little mini miracles. Now, it was an 18-month journey of recovery that included medication, included a community, and included learning about Jesus and, and scripture and Bible and prayer. 
it was a journey. It was a journey, but I'm so grateful for that journey because I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't be talking out about this if it wasn't that God allowed me to have this breakdown. And so you're on the way to recovery. 18 months later, that recovery is, let's say, complete. But I imagine that the journey continues to go on because we all have tendencies that we can fall back on. How have you managed to avoid falling back into old patterns since that time of recovery? That's a great question. I like to say that I don't have severe panic and anxiety anymore. However, when a person has a heat stroke, they are more susceptible to having another heat stroke. The same is true for me. I've had a nervous breakdown, a legitimate medical nervous breakdown. So I am susceptible to anxiety and depression more than the average person would. So I do have what I like to call aftershocks. And when there's a huge earthquake, there'll be little earthquakes that happen afterwards. So I do have aftershocks. I Wish that that's not the case, but it certainly helps me to continue to have compassion and empathy for people that are struggling with the epidemic of fear and anxiety right now. What are some of the things that I have done to help me not have aftershocks? First and foremost, I have to know my triggers. I have to know what triggers me. And for me, medical anxiety and relationship anxiety are the things that trigger me the most. So I have to be very careful. I don't Google any symptoms ever. I always say Google is not God. So I have put boundaries around things that I know that trigger me. There are certain communications and languages that I need to say around my friends about medical things just so that they know like I have to guard my heart around that kind of stuff. I'm not going to just engage in conversations about cancer and about all these kinds of things, you know, medical things that are going on in our world. I have to limit my social media scroll because there's so much bad stuff going on in our world. I have to be very careful about that stuff so I don't trigger myself. In relationship situations, I have to be careful. The company I keep, I have a whole chapter on the company I keep. If there's somebody that is incredibly anxious or very negative and I'm having maybe a particular anxious day, I have to guard my heart from that. So there's just a lot of things that I've had to do, some deep, deep work in counseling to help understand what my triggers are. And I think so many people that are struggling with fear and anxiety right now, you would ask them like, what are you anxious about? What is something that is triggering you right now? And they wouldn't even know. And so that's the hard work. It's really digging deep and finding out what is it exactly that is causing my anxiety. I realized for me, I had to figure out how to trust God. I had to learn the depth of his love and the magnitude of his greatness and his character. And I had to learn that he is a faithful, good, holy, amazing father who loves me so deeply. And I think that we underestimate understanding God's love. It's a basic principle that God loves us. When we don't understand God's love for us, it's going to create a huge, deep anxiety in our heart because His love does cast out fear. But when we don't understand it, that's where anxiety really comes to the surface for me when I realize, okay, I'm not trusting Him. I'm not understanding His love for me. So those are just a few things that I really had to work through in order to overcome severe panic and anxiety disorder. As your book is titled, Nervous Breakthrough, Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It, I think that's one of the keys, isn't it? We must recognize that this world is feeding the fear, is feeding mm -hmm. the anxiety. And so sometimes we need to 
limit some of those connections that we have with some of those things that feed those things in our lives. Absolutely. I mean, this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. Until then, we live in a fallen, broken world where, let's just face it, I mean, the news, fear is what sells. Peace doesn't sell. Although we're advertised peace, you look at people on vacations and you look at people in beautiful big homes or big, fancy, gorgeous cars. And this idea of this will bring you peace is kind of what's dangled in front of us. But really, this world won't give us peace. The Prince of Peace is Jesus Christ. And we're running after so many other things to fulfill us and to give us peace. But really, the person that's going to give us peace is Jesus and surrendering to Him. I love the fact that right at that moment of need, God provided that person, that friend, who could actually step in and help guide you. When was it you realized that you could be that person for so many others and and reach out to other people to help them with these issues? I was sitting on my driveway Mother's Day weekend, and it was about a year after I'd been diagnosed with severe panic and anxiety disorder. I was very stable at that point, doing a lot of hard work and feeling really good. It had been several months since I had a panic attack, and I was just enjoying the sunshine and a barbecue, and I just had this prompting, it's time to share your story. And I thought, huh how would I do that? What would that look like? And then it felt even stronger right about it. And that scared me because I did very poorly in English. My ACT scores in that area were not good. My grammar is horrific. And I just thought, really, God, you want me to write about this? I don't know. And of course, you know, I had the banter of doubt back and forth. And my husband is such an incredible man and so supportive. And I just kind of ran the idea by him. I said, uh, Troy, I, I think I think I'm supposed to write about this, and he's like, "Well, you better get started." And so it was like, "Huh, okay." So I opened up like a blogspot.com. It was a free way to have a blog, and I wrote my journey in it. I put it out in three parts. I didn't grammar check it. I didn't ask anybody's you know advice on it, and I just put it out there. I decided to put it out on my face, my personal Facebook page, and I could not believe the responses I was receiving. People saying, me too. Thank you so much for sharing. I thought I was the only one. And it was just this like, wow, I can't believe how many people are silently dealing with this and not talking out about it. And then that step turned into a support group in the county that I lived in and a library where 38 women showed up. There's a scripture that says, comfort others with the same comfort that God has given you. And I like to say, like, spread comfort like confetti. I was comforted by God, and I made good to my prayer when I was in that desperation. God, I promise if you get me out of this, I'll dedicate my life to you. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm turning around and, and providing comfort to others because God gave me comfort. I know that being in the pits of anxiety is hell, and it's awful, and it's torment. And I want to be able to turn right back around and the same thing that almost wiped me out, give comfort to those that are in that same dark pit too. And I love God's sense of humor here. As (laughs) someone who has been striving for perfection, wanting to achieve at the very highest level, and God says, I'm going to use something that you're not great at, and that's writing, to actually (laughs) affect other people for me. This wonderful ministry comes out of it. Tell me, where has it gone from there? You've started those support groups and meeting with others, and this is now 
well, more or less spreading around the world. You're having contact through what you're doing online with people around the world who are able to find their own release from fear and anxiety. Yeah, that the same pain that almost wiped me out is not my purpose. I wake up every morning excited to work alongside and help men and women that are dealing with fear and anxiety. So yeah, Fearless Unite is an organization, a nonprofit organization that puts programming out into the world that helps people overcome fear and anxiety and depression. So we have what we call impact studies. They're Bible studies, but we call them impact studies. And we've written 10 different Bible studies that focus on fear and anxiety and how to overcome them. So those are available and online on our website. And then we have a podcast called Fearless Tips and Talks. And so we're putting content out into the world that way. We do retreats. We have free community events. We're just doing the next step that God tells us to do. The programming is something that I'm very passionate about because there wasn't anybody at the time or any curriculums or studies that would walk alongside me other than books and resources that would help people. When people can sit shoulder to shoulder or even in a digital format, they can see each other face to face and they can be honest with the fears and anxieties that they're dealing with and where they are in their relationship with Jesus. And just like you mentioned at the at the top of the podcast, it's body, soul, and spirit. And I feel like the reason why there is such an epidemic of fear and anxiety is because we're only touching on one or the other. We're touching on the physical side. So we're giving medication and we're trying to heal the body, but then we're not realizing that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. There's a spiritual element of fear and anxiety as well. And it's like a tricycle. It's got three wheels. And if one tire doesn't have air in it, then that tricycle is not going to run well. It's the same thing with our body, soul, and spirit. If we're not focusing on everything. We're not going to overcome fear and anxiety. So part of our organization teaches practical tips, spiritual tips. It's like we hit it all and not just one part. And it must be enormously satisfying when you get the feedback from those people who have had their lives touched, who have said, hey, look, I recognize what you're talking about because that's what I've been facing. And yet I'm starting to see my own light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, it gets me up every morning. You know, my darkest moments and having suicidal thoughts, I've had the joy and honor to walk along people in their darkest moments. And one particular story that just really touches my heart was a woman that was severely depressed, contemplating suicide. She was pregnant. She had seen some of my videos on Facebook and reached out to me. We got to sit and talk with one another, and I got to walk alongside of her. She accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior didn't commit suicide and wound up having her baby. She thought about giving her baby up for adoption, didn't think that she would be able to manage. And now I'm the godmother of this precious baby boy. Yes, it's incredibly rewarding to use your pain for purpose. And anybody that's listening right now, you can do that too. The pain, the tears that you've cried, the heartache that you've been through, there is a reason for that. And God has collected every single one of your tears and If you'll just surrender it all to him, walk alongside of him. He can show you and use you so that you can spread comfort like confetti and use your pain for purpose. And it's a beautiful and rewarding thing to wake up every day and do that. I know that most of what you're doing is reaching out and helping women 
and teens to set them free. But as you've already mentioned, there's stuff in there for everyone, even talking through the description of what panic attacks are and what anxiety is. I know that this is going to help those who are going through it, but also is going to help those who are supporting in the same way that Troy was there to support you. I guess you're wanting to help others to support those who are facing these battles. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm glad you brought the men up because my husband has gone through his own journey of fear and anxiety. At the time in 2011, when I was diagnosed, he was calm, cool, peaceful, never experienced any anxiety. But since then, lots of issues with his job and losing his father has triggered some things inside of him. And now he has battled with his own journey of fear and anxiety. And so anxiety doesn't pick sides. Men and women, we all struggle with it. It might look a little different, but we all struggle with it. And yes, being a support system is incredibly important important. A lot of times people just out of wanting to help or something, well, just stop. Can't you just stop? You know, don't, you don't need to be anxious about that. Don't worry about that. And, and so I I love to walk alongside people that don't quite understand anxiety and help them and give them the tools to be able to support someone. And in fact, it's part of the reason why I wrote the book. The book is not just for someone that might be battling with fear and anxiety. It's for someone that doesn't have any idea what fear and anxiety is and has not a clue how to support or walk alongside somebody that does. And I think that you'll understand when you read that you'll be able to get empathy and compassion for maybe somebody in your life that is. And the statistics don't lie. 46% of America will get a diagnosis of a mental health condition. And a lot of those people will receive it before the age of 14. Fear and anxiety is on the rise. And so if it's not something you personally struggle with, it would be great for you to get educated on it because there's somebody in your circle that does. There are great resources through Fearless Unite. There's your book that I've mentioned, Nervous Breakthrough, Finding Freedom from Fear and Anxiety in a World that Feeds It. And I believe that there's people listening at the moment who would love to connect in with you. Where's the best place for people to find you and those resources? Certainly, christybolware.com. That's just my name. And then fearlessunite.com. Both of those places have a connect tab where you can reach out to me. And I like to have conversations. I'm passionate about that. So I would love to connect with you there. You can connect with us on our podcast. I'm putting out weekly content where I'm giving tips on how to overcome fear and anxiety and then also interviewing people that have had fear and anxiety in their life and how they've overcome it as well. So that would be a great resource for you. And then I'm on Instagram if you need to reach me there too. I will put links to all of those in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that they're easy to find. Christy, it has been wonderful to talk to you, to hear how you've overcome, but also to know that you're still looking out for those triggers, you're still walking that journey and walking alongside others who are at different stages of that journey as well. But thank you so much for your time on Bleeding Daylight today. Thank you for having the conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.